An Erios production. This is the Cardamom Pod, Kajal Magazine's culture podcast, hosted by me, Nadia Agrawal, and made in partnership with Erios Network. As a de facto diaspora scholar, I often talk about cultural touch points as a thing that unites the diaspora. We're also varied. We come from different parts of the subcontinent, some by way of Africa or the Caribbean, Australia, Fiji, the UK, Canada, and the US. We hail from different religions, classes, castes. Our experiences are different, but sometimes we can come together for a few things, including movies. I've long thought about the role nostalgia plays in our diaspora experience. I think sometimes to a fault, we're dedicated to the ideas we glean from our nostalgia. We proffer family photos and home videos as artifacts of our lives, which isn't incorrect, but we put undue emphasis on history as we've experienced it. This is in part to do with our oral history traditions, but also in this digital age, it's become flattened into what we can share easily and cutely on social media. Nostalgia is a currency. This is where I think Bollywood operates for many of the diaspora. It's why we're also sometimes slow adopters of new movies or new TV shows coming out of places like Netflix India, and why we keep returning to the over-tread K3G, DDLJ, Kuchkuchotahe, and the rest of the Karan Johar cinematic universe, or the KJOCU. The touchpoint also often ends up being specifically Indian exports. I've spoken to few people who would reference a Pakistani drama as one of their favorites or talk about Sri Lankan films. The sheer mass production of Indian movies and television, in addition to the role India plays as a domineering cultural force in the subcontinent, means our commonalities are pretty one-sided. Sometimes our nostalgia blinds us to the present, or it gives us a glossier veneer on things that aren't so great. Recent conversations coming out of India around nepotism in Bollywood, for example, might be lost on a lot of us because... We're once or twice removed from the subcontinent, which removes us from the core of the issues. This week I talk with Priya Aurora, who often reviews new and old Indian TV and movies. We talk about the movie-going culture we've lost in the pandemic, Bollywood, and more. Stick around. I don't want you anymore, but I'm blind. I wish that you were here. I'm here with Priya Aurora, host of the podcast Queering Desi, audience editor and writer at the New York Times, and owner of the newsletter Priya's Kitty Party, which shares and reviews South Asian TV shows and movies that are largely available on streaming services. Thanks so much for joining us, Priya. Thank you so much for having me. So, like, diving into your archives for the newsletter and, and your work in general, especially on the New York Times website... I feel like I've had such a clear sense of like missing movies. Like I think we've all been missing movies throughout the pandemic. It's been like a year of not being able to go to the cinema and like digging into snacks or climbing in those chairs and stuff. And I'm I'm curious what you are missing most during the pandemic. Yeah, definitely that. I think the movie theater experience. Um, I never considered myself much of a theater person, like sitting close to people. I always wanted my space. I always wanted, you know, the comfort of, you know, snacks and all that stuff. But there's something about that collective experience, um, especially when you talk about South Asian films or, or folks that are South Asian or, or even just people of color in films. Like I remember one of my last vivid memories of before times would be 
like watching Black Panther, right, in the theater full of people of color and black people and, and understanding what it meant for us to collectively experience uh, a film like that on screen, right? So I think I miss that feeling, um, especially when you talk about Bollywood specifically. There is always an aura about it, whether it is one of those dance in the aisle movies or I'm like shedding tears throughout kind of movies. Like there's there's just a collectiveness to it. Uh, so I miss that. I miss going out to movies and making the time. I love have every. I love having everything accessible. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> I love being able to queue up a movie at any time of day. But yeah, there's something about just physically going to a theater um, that I re- I'm really looking forward to getting back to eventually. Yeah, I also feel especially with like maybe South Asian films or films coming from the subcontinent is like there's always some, like designated theaters as well that you would always go to like. For us, I think there's, like, in New York, there's, like, one AMC in Times Square that will, like, regularly show Bollywood films. And when you're going there, you do have a sense of, like, you're streaming into, like, the cinema, into the room with all these other brown people. And everyone's kind of, like, having the same conversations. And you're all kind of, like, looking around each other, like, who all is here? It's kind of a sense, you're right, like, a collective experience. Also, like, a party. Like, we're all here for this one purpose. And that is missing. And I, you know, it's one of the things I've noticed in the just sitting around at home watching movies queuing up with whatever's on streaming services is i'm actually not digging into as much like um south asian films and tv shows as i thought i would be like i'm mm. mostly going for like the comfort watches which is it does include like rewatches of stuff of like you know 90s bollywood specifically sure. but i'm not really engaging with like contemporary content as much and i'm, I'm really curious what like what your feeling is especially as someone who's curating contemporary content like what that kind of audience barrier might be or like what interests you about that that you feel like other people need to understand yeah I mean that's a great point and and interesting to hear because I've actually if you talked to me in March uh when the pandemic first started I think I would have said the exact opposite and I kind of still feel that way um I started watching stuff from South Africa stuff from you know all all regions of Africa or, or parts of the, the, the world and, and continents that we weren't really like exposed to. I feel like everyone would talk about, even though no one has cable anymore, not many people do. Everyone was talking about cable shows, right? Like even if it's South, especially when you talk about South Asians, you talk about South Asians on, you know, Hollywood shows. And so I think it was interesting because when the pandemic began, I found myself really diving into content that I would not have, you know, t- like looked at before or even come across before. And so I think that, opportunity is something I'm hoping actually doesn't go away Um, and what excites me about streaming because I feel like I'm actually exposing myself to more regional content um, various regions but if we talk about South Asia um, I'm I'm watching shows from Pakistan that I wouldn't have watched whether it's dramas whether it's you know web series um, films and same thing for within India right I'm watching South Indian films uh, whether they're dubbed in Hindi or not or I'm you know reading the subtitles and I think Maybe it's a part and parcel of having more quote unquote time, <laughs> which uh, is debatable for, for a lot of folks, even with all that's going on. But I actually find it to be a great opportunity um, to dive into content that I haven't always do- dived into. And I think that's kind of where the newsletter has come out for me, because because of the pandemic, you know, these streaming places are really investing in, and they already had been um, in the subcontinent in India in particular. And so there is more content to dive into, uh, but I try not to also just limit myself to that. And I don't think in normal times I would have 
maybe just I would have just watched The Good Place or The Office, you know, things that I knew would always like uplift me, as you mentioned. Uh, so I've I found the kind of the opposite to be true for me. And do you feel like you're doing a lot of like deep watching? Like I feel especially with streaming, with binging, like there's a lot of like leaving something on in the background. But I think especially when you're engaging with, you know, the yield of other cultures that you really do need to sit and spend time with it, especially if you're reading subtitles, obviously like you need to like sit and stare totally. at the TV. You can't like just like go cook and come back to it, you know, like I'm, I'm wondering about that experience as well. Yeah, I think, I, I mean, I have that struggle too. I think when I have to watch something that I want to pay attention to and I have to be in a certain frame of mind and that may mean that I don't get to it for a while. So I definitely have like comfort watches and rewatches where I, I can turn to something familiar um, I think the troubling thing for me personally with Bollywood stuff, and, and I know so many can relate to this, is that a lot of the stuff is just so much better in your mind. And now <laughs> when you watch it, you're like, oh man, I can't believe I, I can't believe I believed this. I can't believe I stood for this. I can't believe I found it funny and hilarious and entertaining um, in all the ways, whether it was problematic, whether it was dumb, whether the graphics sucked, you know, like on any scale. Um, so I find that the background watches are actually better for those so that I don't get incensed. This is time. specifically about Karan Johar, right? We're just talking about <laughs> K3G and Kalhonaho and the kind of like the, the you know the it's, drivel of like the '90s Y2K period. Yeah, I get you. I understand. Look, he's he is a, a repeat offender, but I must say it's kind of all of them. Like if you <laughs> branch outside, like anything Salman Khan and Sanjay Dutt were doing, anything Karishma Kapoor was in, anything Govinda was in, like all these. I mean, in their own times, great actors, right? Like. You remember them being so much better and funnier. Right, right. You know, what I realized, though, is, like, the iconic stuff does rise to the top, right? Like, I am still completely, like, I'm still completely in love with the Chinari Chinari music video, partially because it's filmed entirely in San Francisco, which is near where I grew up. But, like, it's also iconic. Like, it's, like, it's such Mm. a specific... I don't know. I find myself revisiting, like, the certain peaks, I think, of that era, like... I love um, in K3G where uh, Rani Mukherjee is wearing the kind of like spangly metallic silver kameez. Like stuff like that I feel like is what I remember most distinctly versus like the entire film at this point. Maybe it's just me almost turning like being almost 30 and now I'm just getting like the best of the best. But like that's something I've experienced is especially in in the pandemic because I become really obsessed with like two minutes of a movie and not like the rest of it. That's so true. That's so true. I actually, my wife and I have been, we just kind of completed it, but we, we had this like after we're done with the background watches, we, we wanted to return to stuff that not only felt good and reminiscent, not, not the newer stuff, but something that was just beautiful to watch and, and songs that were iconic. And so we did like a Sanjay Leela Bansali marathon over a few Ooh, weeks. So yeah. we just did like all his films and just from the music and the, God. and like, you're just, Bansali fucks, you. you know, like yeah. that, that shit is just so good. It just, it yeah. touches you everywhere. It's, it's so nice. Oh. Right. And so just admiring the sets, the costume, you know, it, so I think I have, I try to balance that, right? So I might revisit something that's problematic, but then I might also appreciate like some of the more iconic things, like you're saying, or films that that do hold up, or because they're not based in the same patriarchal, homophobic, Islamophobic kind of just that genre of, of content. Um, it's outside of that. It's cinema, and I think that stuff really elevates and you're like okay maybe now I have the bandwidth to to return to some of the stuff that really pisses me off (laughs) right right you do have to kind of like watch that stuff through 
a lens of like time like you it's even like with 90s sitcoms like it's really hard to rewatch like friends or like sex in the city he's like mm-hmm. you know really white dominated narratives that are like openly transphobic and homophobic and fat phobic mm-hmm. and all of these things that like you know are really that leave a bad taste in your mouth today but like you have to if you're going to enjoy it you have to kind of like skip over those parts or just like yeah. roll your eyes through them and then just like kind of carry on otherwise like it just it's everywhere that's Absolutely. that's yeah i think one of the things that i like the most about your newsletter is that you address like feelings head on i mean like you don't stray from direct conversations about what representation means and and how it fails often i think it's really easy to get caught up in in the whole representation is good always conversation but i think your writing never really takes that approach i'm thinking especially about like your recent white tiger missive comparing Mm -hmm. it to the long shadow cast by slumdog millionaire um I feel like your takes are always very measured, like you're just having a chat with a friend and you're recommending a movie, though, of course, like your recommendations have a lot more detail. They're a lot more dexterous than a kind of like group chat movie rack. But I I still feel like there's there's like that sense of like holding things to the light, you know, and really and taking care of like what is it trying to do and what is it trying to achieve? And I, I'm really like curious about the sort of the beginning of your newsletter, if you really thought that you were going to go into it with those conversations, if you were going to have that time to do that. Yeah, you know, not really. Thank you for all of that. I think um, uh, I don't think of it that way. So it's nice to hear. Um, it is just me kind of chatting with a friend. It, it's like the friend is all of you <laughs> who read it. Um, yeah, I, I kind of went into it for my own reasons. I felt like... Um, you know, there's all this talk about representation, and I'm sure there are other newsletters in the Substack era that that address it. But I think for me, I feel as someone who was born here, I often feel like this is a, this is cliche, so I'm sorry, but I often feel like I'm not American enough, and not Desi enough, or not mm. Indian enough. And so, all of that aside, I've I feel kind of like an anomaly because I'm someone who watches things like Indian Idol or India's Got Talent, or, you know, all these Indian reality shows or Hindi reality shows just for fun. Um, I have Bollywood posters in my room. I, you know, I have collected those since I was a kid. I, you know, Bollywood and and Indian cinema and shows have been a really big part of who I am. And in the current era, I felt like there was a gap in a hybrid of the two, um, you know, there are South Asians in Hollywood who are doing great work, who have for many years, who are not Priyanka Chopra and Mindy Kaling. Um, I felt like it was necessary to recognize those people in a in a light of not only the work that they have done, but continue to do. You know, you have Rizwan Manji, you have Sujatha Day, you have filmmakers and, and writers and actors who are who have been around, who have been doing this for a long time and are in the shows. You'll be like, I know that guy. That's a Desi guy, you know, who is an extra or a side in something. But then you also have India, where streaming platforms are are really investing millions and millions of dollars uh, to create original content. And when they do that, they're not doing it only for an Indian audience. Yes, it's a billion plus people. But they are aware of the globalness of their platforms, right? We, we can watch a money heist or we can watch like narcos and we can we we are starting to as an audience delve into you know cultures and languages and shows that we wouldn't typically watch or or be exposed to and so from that lens for netflix for amazon for hotstar investing in india is kind of a global uh you know investment for them 
um, they're cashing in on the fact that diaspora audiences are nostalgic, but also more woke and demanding more original uh, and, and in-depth and empathetic narratives than what we've seen from the continent. So all of that said, like, I, I felt like there was a gap um, for someone like me who straddles both spheres, who wants to know what's happening in Hollywood, but also wants to know what's happening in Bollywood. And the biggest thing for me during the pandemic was every other week there are South Asian shows, whether here or whether in India, that are releasing. And I have no idea where, when, how, what they're about. And I'm kind of piecemealing for myself the trailers, the cast, the where it comes from, what they're doing. And so the newsletter was really born of this need for like, bringing that all together. I think for me, one of my favorite parts of doing that every week is the last part, which goes into what's coming soon. And I get to bring in trailers. I get to tell you a little bit about the show. Um, and, and it kind of, and, and this week's too, like it, it tells me that like I'm, I'm wrapping in so many different ties of like, like there's a, there's a trailer I'm going to be putting in the next one. That's like from, it's a Nigerian Netflix film that has a South Asian actor in it. Oh yeah, right? so, I like, saw this one. Yes. The, the like rom-com yeah, two families yeah. coming together. Yeah. Right. So like I feel like in a global streaming world, um South Asian content is now changing in what it means. And so we can't just limit ourselves to one continent or one area. And so that's kind of how I started it. Um the, the to go back to your question and like kind of delving into each one, it's not how I saw it. And and if you go back to my early newsletters, the the reviews or the recommendations I gave were a little simpler. Um I'm trying to go deeper now into each film or or a handful that I do. In the in the starting I would review maybe three films a week. <laughs> and now I'm focusing on just one or two and trying to really go deeper. Part of that is developing my own voice and and really digging into why I'm watching this and thinking critically about it. But part of that is just to to be able to lend that space, right? Like we don't have just because there's a large quantity of of stuff streaming doesn't mean that we can watch everything or that everything is watchable, right? So if I can give folks like, hey, this is skippable, I'll give you a paragraph. But this is really you should think critically about this. Here's 10 paragraphs. Then I'm okay with that kind of format. Yeah, you know, this is something that I've experienced, or this is something, I want to say this is a bit of like talking shop for us, because actually I have a column coming out soon in Catapult, where I look closely at diaspora films, so films about and by the South Asian diaspora, so of course I start with like Bandit Like Beckham, and then I go into sort of stranger territory, like with Where's the Party Yard, um, picking up Mystic Masala, which is a classic that a lot of people don't, still don't really know about, like mm-hmm. looking at these films and question is always why am I watching this why is this a story worth telling and I find that to be such a compelling starting point that everything else feels sort of secondary but there's so many ways you can go from that initial question of like what is this about um Mm. and it's it's such a personal experience I think that especially as viewers you know who grew up with the scarcity model who grew up with a lack of seeing ourselves you know and I I you know I I generally I generally question a lot of this because I, I'm, I think, a very, um, I would consider myself a representation negative person because I largely think the conversation of representation is really boring at this point. It's been totally stultified. It's completely about sort of like continuing to put people of privilege, like light skinned North Indian, Hindu, cis, straight people into positions where they can tell our stories as if they're somehow indicative of the entire South Asian region community subcontinent all of that right like there's a lot that we need to really unpack with representation as a construct but 
when you watch these films back, there's so much self-involvement that ends up happening that you can't really help, you know, like, you can't really help connecting to characters, you can't really help, like, you know, just, like, gorgeous gowning, the whole thing, like, there's so much about it that is just, like, resplendent, and I find myself coming into sort of a new appreciation of films made by the sort of global South Asian community, because there is kind of a different language to it, I've realized, than you would get in, like, the West. And maybe that's, like, lately not as much of a of a thing because there's such a globalization that's been happening. But I've, I've definitely seen that. I've seen, like, that sort of that change and that shift happening. I don't know where I'm going with this, but I'm just trying to say, like, I really appreciate reading your reviews because I feel like being a person who's trying to do that as well, it is kind of a constant conversation. And I think for a long time, even the industry of movie reviews was so dominated by certain voices that like now we're actually creating new templates of reviewing films that look like us that resemble us in some way and we're not we're not like we're not giving them the grace period of just representing us for also being like well how are you doing it are you representing oppressed casts properly are you casting correctly like where is this money coming from that's coming into this film and what is it doing to to maybe even like represent the bjp the far right Hindu nationalist movement, the Hindutva, in a positive way. Is this propaganda? Like, there's a lot of questions that kind of come into it now that I think that we're really well equipped to do that I think just hasn't existed for, like, decades before us, at least here in the West. Yeah, that's a great point. And I I just want to add to that because I feel like what you're saying lays the foundation for this. But something we haven't spoken about in this regard then is the audience, right? For who's reading these reviews, who is it for? Not only who is writing it, right? Voices like you and me. And I think for me, the the most interesting difference of doing like the newsletter versus writing about um, Bollywood or Indian streaming for the New York Times, for example, is is audience right so i am looking at it as a lens of in my newsletter i'm talking to people who kind of are familiar i'm not sitting there explaining you know who karen Johar is who priyanka chobra like i'm not going to sit there and explain why this matters i assume that if you're coming to the newsletter you have a vested interest already and i think for various platforms and and the new york times included that's not always the case right you're trying to draw in audiences or readers that don't that may not be familiar um and oftentimes could be white audiences older audiences cis audiences like you're saying and i think then the tone shifts right and the conversation shifts so part of the news the newsletter's intent and and what sounds like even for your column is talking about it but hopefully in a way that that not only that like normalizes it i I hate to use that word too but says it like you know that i'm just going to talk to you like you're an equal instead of talking down to you or introducing you quote unquote to Bollywood or to India or to the subcontinent and it's content now we're saying we're already in a global society if you're not here yet like you can catch up but like I'm gonna talk to a majority of people that already have a vested interest in this yeah you know one of the most surprising things is actually digging in I love the word archives I'm gonna use it a lot but digging into the archives on these diaspora films like um specifically like I was looking up old reviews from when Bend It Like Beckham came out just to see like what the sort of critical reception was because I was like 12 so like I mean I loved it but like I don't know what people were writing about and I found this old Roger Ebert review and there's this wild paragraph near the end where he said he asked this question is it even an Indian film if there's not a wedding in it and like this film like depicts food so well it'll encourage viewers to go and befriend Indian people so they can be invited around for dinner it was a 
truly bizarre paragraph to exist in this like review about this like sports movie you know like i think the way and i think they even called it like an ethnic sports movie which is hilarious because like is goal an ethnic sports movie um i don't know but it's just it's strange to kind of go back into you know to realize that we're kind of maybe undoing that work a little bit you know like loosening the ties that these industries have on each other to like be more open and aware that there are other people who are watching these movies not just like the white dominant narrative so yeah i just it's it's really um i just i really enjoyed that i wanted to to switch gears a bit and talk about your podcast mm-hmm. i what i find so interesting about queering desi i think because i consume a lot of podcasts obviously and i also consume a lot of queer podcasts specifically but i feel like what strikes me most about it is that you're interviewing largely like regular regular queer south asian people who are just sort of everyday folks who can represent a variety of industries and experiences and who have certain insights and they just sort of happen to be queer they happen to be south asian in a lot of ways you're not like going after just like famous queer they see people like you're you know you're you're doing your homework and it's kind of um it's it's fun to listen to because it's just sort of like gaggle conversation sometimes you know you might sense a theme now, now that you say it like that, uh, between my newsletter and that I'm literally just talking to my friends all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Um, no, yeah. And, and honestly, I'm glad you caught on to that because that, that was largely one of the main reasons I started this and, and the format too, right? Podcasts at the time that I started it were booming, but there's something about hearing someone tell their story in their own words, hearing their voice, hearing their diction, hearing their emphasis. Um, and, and it was a big priority for me to have people, uh, you know, beyond the labels, for, for lack of a better way to say it. Um, you know, we all happen to be many things um, and, and not all always do those things define us. Um, I've been someone that has been outspokenly queer and an activist in that space for a long time. So I feel like it's part of my identity, but it's always fascinating to me uh, to come across people who don't shout it from the rooftops and who don't, you know, and, and in a good way, right? Like, because what they do or what they love even if it's not what they do, is what defines them or is what makes them who they are. And it's not always about coming out. Like I say this on the podcast all the time and it still frustrates me now because people will say, oh, it's so refreshing to hear that part. And I'm like, yeah, because the queer community still, whether it's the white or like even, even people of color, even South Asians, will obsess about it. And I understand why. I'm not at all discounting that. I think it is a very vital part of our, our, our process as people. Um, but that says more about our culture and our communities than it does about the importance of coming out. And I felt like it was really important to talk to people. I never had, you know, I had never had examples of people growing up that were just bakers and artists and singers and like, oh, and they happen to be queer. And that I felt like was more powerful than saying, oh, you're important because you're like a famous queer person. Um, and so I, I'm glad you caught on to that because I feel like that that was a vital thing, formative thing for me in, in, in conceiving of and carrying that out. Yeah, I mean, I, I love to we talk about podcasts often as sort of these like pockets of the Internet, these like warm spaces that you can just sort of occupy for a bit where you get to be part of these conversations that maybe you wish you were having or that you have had. And there's something really lovely and familiar about it and I feel like Queering Daisy really fits into that space especially when like I think we're living in probably the most diverse and the widest sort of podcast landscape you know in terms of like what kinds of stories are being told and who's running these podcasts and 
and all of that, which is like, you know, it's 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 truly being open to to so many conversations at once, and which is a lot. Sometimes it's often overwhelming, but it's also like a very privileged existence. I think like mm-hmm. I I mean I think a lot of us have a story of like growing up in a place without a lot of South Asian people and like what that felt like, the sense of isolation that that comes with and like I mean at this point it's like pat you know it's like a it's like an overtrod story in a lot of ways even if you grew up in communities or grew up in spaces where you actually had access to a large South Asian community you might still not have felt fully included because like of your particular set of labels or where your family specifically from or what caste you occupy or what religion you practice like we can be a very isolating community even within ourselves but like I think with with podcasts it's a sort of like being in part of a global group chat in some ways, which is so nice. And I, I, I feel like I rarely get to just gush about what podcasts do, but I'm glad to talk to a fellow podcaster about that. Yeah, absolutely. I think there, I think there is a power in that. And it's funny that you say it's like a, a global group chat because I essentially feel like that is what the new the new clubhouse is. The youth tell me <laughs> that that it's essentially one large podcast and and you know it's the audio form in a global chat format and and I think that's exactly uh, the draw of podcasts and I think that's what drives e- even now. Yeah, it's kind of one of those things where I think a lot of times people love to like lump like Asian podcasts together, podcasts with like black voices together, all of those things. Like we kind of like to like kind of clump group ourselves up in these clicks but i feel like in a lot of ways those identity labels are something you kind of leave at the door in a lot of it's like you come into the space and like maybe you're interested in it because it represents you to some degree but like that's kind of like you get over that in the first like five minutes of the conversation and then, then you move on and then it's just like it's just like all these touch points you know so anyway it's been so lovely having this chat with you Priya it's been such a long time coming I'm glad that we got to do this uh very special cardamom pod queering they see crossover <laughs> yeah likewise likewise I'm such an admirer of your podcast and have listened to so many episodes I know uh you shouted out queering they see when we did an a Clarky screening a few years ago yeah of that film and and so I just yeah I appreciate the support I do feel like it's it's one large community um in a lot of ways and and I'm glad that so many of our identities as a community intersect um but for you and me specifically and for this podcast specifically um i'm just a fan so thank you so much for having me i'm just i'm very very honored same same um where can our listeners find you online and find your work yeah absolutely so queering desi is on all podcast platforms and queeringdesi.com and for my newsletter it's priyaaurora.substack.com just my full name i also am on instagram with priya's kitty party just at priya's kitty party um i'm trying to bring in a visual element and draw in uh folks that way as well so you can follow my reviews there something for everyone i think absolutely it was so great chatting yeah likewise thank you so much The Cardamom Pod is made by Kajal Magazine in partnership with Erios Network. Aziz Adib is our producer with help from Jivika Verma. Our music is by Tasneem from their EP, Just Before the World Ends. Until next time, keep an eye out for evil eyes. Powered by ACAST.